So we are in part four of our series walking through the book of 1 Corinthians line by line, and uh, we called the series Discovering the Kingdom, and as much as we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, I would like to start in the book of Ephesians. Could you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11? I want to talk about the concept of maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, talking about maturity. The phrase or word maturity means fully developed. Therefore, immaturity would be not fully developed. Did you know that the Bible says that every single Christian should become mature in Jesus Christ? It's not a, oh, I hope I grow. It's not a, wow, is that even possible? It's actually an expectation and a command of God. We need to grow up and become mature. That is on us to chase after and use what God has given us to become mature believers. How do I know that? Because of Ephesians 4 and many other scriptures. Let's take a look at Ephesians 4.11. And Christ gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. All right, I don't think this is too tough of an analogy. We know that in human development, we start out and we are uh, newborns and infants and toddlers and preteens and teens, and then we get to young adults, and then we end up becoming adults. When we get to an adult process, in human development, we talk about having matured. Now, in no way does the Bible or human definitions mean you stop developing, right? Every human being here is still in development, uh, but when it talks about the majority of becoming fully formed or, wow, I'm able to be at the level where it's not all about me, I can now contribute, we call that adulthood. We call that maturity. But none of us would say, I'm not still developing in little ways. Same thing when it comes to Christian maturity. There's got to come a place where you develop to be able to say, it doesn't have to be about me all the time. I don't only have to be needy. As a matter of fact, I can contribute to the body of Christ. I know enough to where I can reproduce myself into others. I can now train up other people. I now can be their blessing, their benefit, yeah? That's what we're supposed to be. But no one's ever saying they've arrived or they're perfect. Man, I've been doing this a really long time. I am such a baby in so many areas. But yet, I am at a place of maturity where I can now invest in everybody else. That's all we're looking for. So, part of knowing if a Christian is mature is not just the ability to reproduce themselves spiritually, not just the idea that it wouldn't be just about you, but there's a part of maturity that allows blatant sin to begin to drop off, right? And I'm not talking about every sin. I'm not talking about being sinless. I'm talking about there's some things that when you find out your identity in Jesus, they don't make sense anymore, and those things kind of fall away. Okay, 
I think we can all agree that all sin comes from pride. Because really, why would you choose to sin if you didn't think you had the choice to sin? Does that make sense? You're kind of, well, God had his way, but ah, I got my opinion too, right? When we think those are equal, there's something wrong. All sin comes from pride, but here's what we may not realize. All pride comes from immaturity. All pride comes from immaturity. Here's why. If you truly knew what was up, you wouldn't have pride in the first place. Let's talk about Lucifer becoming Satan, yeah? He tries to take over God's job. Where in the world did he think that was a good idea? Like he is the closest one to God, and yet he still thinks he can take him? That, it wasn't going to work. So why did he try? Because he had a self-inflated view that he was better than he was. Many times God's love and empowerment of us makes us feel that we're a little better than we really are, yeah? And so what happened in the Garden of Eden? God, who they knew was God, said, hey, kiddos, I only got one rule. Don't eat the fruit. And what did they say? Well, I also have an opinion. And we think we can outthink God. And so they ate the fruit and it fell into chaos. That immaturity of not realizing it was always going to go bad you know, we talk about in human development that, did you know that when little babies are first born, they don't have any concept that you exist outside of their sight, right? So the minute you, from a newborn, when you walk out, yeah, you're no longer a thing. All of a sudden they show up, they're like, hey, hey, I didn't know you were here. That's weird. <laughs> you go in the other room, hey, right? When you start developing and maturing, you finally come up to this idea that there's a world going on that you're not a part of. Well, you know what? Spiritually speaking, there's a bunch of us that think we're the center of the universe. And when you mature, you start realizing, well, I'm kind of a little baby part of it, right? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that's really not about me. That's interesting. That's called maturing in the Lord. That's what we want to do. All right, so there are oddly in religious circles two groups I wanted to highlight real fast as examples that not only are immature, they're proud of their immaturity. I want to call them out for a moment. The first one is called unhelpful watchdogs. Unhelpful watchdogs. These are people that have a self-inflation that they know all things. So they're now going to spend the rest of their life correcting everybody else. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with your ministry. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with this ministry. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you as a Christian. I'm going to tell you all that stuff. Where in the world did they get that right, right? Like if they really knew what was up, they would realize they also have challenges. And if we all did the same exact thing to them, nobody would have anything to say. And I guess I'm looking at it going, man, we got bigger fish to fry than just trying to pick on each other, yeah? Because the reality is the majority of the world's going to hell. Are we doing anything about that? And if we're nitpicking one another, we're not getting anything else done. That seems kind of ridiculous. Are there not people to be set free? Are there not people to love? Are there not ministry to do? Then why in the world are we spending all of our time going, you know what? 20% of your ministry is garbage. Okay, cool. Is there any way that you could go 80% of your ministry is awesome? Wouldn't that be the same way of saying it? Like, come on. Do we really have to be mean about everything? Do we have to be that nitpicky? And then there's another group of Pharisees that I call, uh, uh, let me use the phrase, public condemners. Public condemners. Anybody know sign-holding people? 
Okay, so there have been a variety of sign-holding people that have mean things on their signs, and they're, they're immature because they believe this concept. I need to notify you of your sin, and the best way to do that is to be really mean to you. <laughs> like, that's really weird, right? No one has ever said, well, now that you've verbally assaulted me, I do want to know your Jesus. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Nobody has ever said, now that I'm crushed in spirit, I want to be a Christian. Okay, so now, it's an immaturity. This is what I need to point out about these two groups. It's not that they're evil, it's they're immature. They're not seeing a bigger picture. That you would go, wait, 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 hold on. Is there anything wrong with confronting the world of its sin? No. But is there a better way and a more loving way to do it? Yeah. Is there a way that's more practically helpful? Yeah. What are you doing? You're hurting people, and you're not giving them any opportunities to get rescued because they don't want anything to do with you. All you did was chase them away. Once again, this is immaturity of inability to see what's really going on because not only do you need to confront somebody about their sin, maybe, but you also need to love them into the kingdom. You also need to walk alongside of them once they recognize that something is amiss in them. You also need to intercede for them. You need to pray with them. You need to be loving. You need to be affirming. There's a bunch of stuff that needs to happen for someone to feel they can walk into a church. Just being mean doesn't cut it, yeah? All right. If we truly knew God, if we truly knew his heart, if we truly knew the big picture, we would be more like Jesus. He knew what was up. All of our division, our disunity, our meanness, our sin-filled lives show we don't get it. And it's not that we're a worse human being than somebody else. It just means we're immature, and we just have to grow up. This takes us back to the whole reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Is he was saying to the Corinthian church, you guys, you started so awesome. I remember coming into town, right? And you're all pagans doing your own thing. And I was like, hey, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And the, man, the Lord came on you and you were like, no way, that's amazing. Like, I, I'm, I'm a sinner and you broke down. I remember the whole tears thing. And then all of a sudden you were like, but God loves me. And that was the first time your eyes were opened. And you were so happy to be in the family of God. As a matter of fact, I started telling you, you know, you're forgiven of all your sins, and you live in a state of perpetual grace, and you know what? You're called a child of God. And they were like, yeah, and I remember how pumped you guys were. Then the Holy Spirit comes into you, and he's, he's igniting your spiritual gifts, and you start like speaking in tongues and doing crazy miracles, and then you were like, oh, I want to go deeper, and everything was super cool. And then somehow it turned you see, instead of staying in a humble and thankful place, you began to get prideful. Instead of appreciating that God was filling jars of clay with his presence, you began to decorate your jars and put them on the highest shelf. Instead of staying close to the grace giver, you started thinking you're the judge. Instead of being thankful to be in the family of God, you began to divide it. And you guys, that's not okay. That's where we're going to pick up our story, but there's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you that I really want to cut to the chase on. If you're uh, following along um, online, make sure to fill out on the app. Divisiveness is a sign of immaturity. Divisiveness is a sign of immaturity. 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, page 953. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, page 953. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us that the Corinthians were enamored with wisdom, the idea that they could know more information. They thought they were the biggest, baddest because they knew the deep things of God. They knew mysteries, they knew secrets, they knew stuff about the Old Testament and how it revealed the Messiah, and they just thought they were awesome. They loved looking good, they loved being impressive, they were really kind of full of themselves. And so Paul had to come in and bring correction, and they didn't want his correction. They didn't want him to be their pastor. They were like, no, 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 you're not good enough for us. You can't do the deep stuff. You're always so basic. You're always like, Jesus died for your sins. I know that, dude. I want to talk about something else. Paul said, you know, that's interesting that you bring that up. I would love to talk to you about something else. As a matter of fact, you want to talk about deep stuff? Dude, I have been in a vision to heaven. The stuff I've seen would blow your mind. You want to talk about deep gifting? I would shred any of you in terms of gifting. You want to talk about angelic stuff, supernatural, talk about demons? You want to talk about any of that? Oh, I can do that. You want to talk about how we got here and what God did in creation? You know what? I would love to talk to you about deep stuff, but there's a problem, you see. You're not ready. That's where we pick up our story. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, here's what he said. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, your babies in Christ. So I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. You're still in the flesh. For wherever there is jealousy among you and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one of you says, oh, I follow Paul's camp, and another's like, oh, I'm all into Apollos' camp, are you not being merely human? Let's pause. What did he say? Your immaturity is all over the place. How do I know that? Look at how you're treating each other. Like this is, you're so fleshly, I can clearly tell you're not ready for anything more. Okay, so if you didn't grow up in the church or around the Bible, there's a common motif the Bible uses, which is flesh versus spirit, and here's what it means. The part of us that is submitted to God, the part of us that is godly, the part of us that is good, the part of us that chases after the Lord and wants to do right, that's called our spirit side. And then there's a side where it's the, I want to be selfish, I want to do my own thing, I I still have a lot of wickedness in me, and I'm still trying to root that out. That's the flesh side. Now, there's this war all the time between the two because in one sense, we got our foot on this side because we live in a broken world, live in a broken body, we live around broken people, and we are still trying to figure out how to get past our baggage and figure out our dysfunction. We're still kind of messed up. So in one sense, we got a lot of flesh, but yet we know that we have been saved by the Lord, that we are in the kingdom of light. We know that we've been turned on supernaturally, so we're connecting with the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven. We know we have authority. We know we have power. So we're trying to live that side and going, I want to do what is right. And the two just keep pulling on each other. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He's like, man, this stuff drives me crazy. I totally want to do what's right. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I didn't. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, I think we can all relate. So Paul walked in and he goes, man, your flesh side is winning so much, clearly you're not mature yet. And why not? Because you guys are dividing. Jealousy? Seriously? 
In the church of God, you're jealous from each other. You're trying to say, I'm better than you. That's absurd. What do you mean? You're not God. Why are you talking about being better than somebody else? Who cares if you're better than another human being? You're not tracking with me. That's not how it works. And he said, and you guys, Christianity isn't about information gathering. It's about transformation. If you write notes, write this down. There's little benefit in preaching new information if we haven't learned to live the last revelation. There's little benefit in preaching new information if we haven't learned to live the last revelation. What if I made an agreement with you? I'll tell you deep stuff. You want to go deep? I got all kinds of deep stuff for you. We can throw down on predestination free will. I can do all kinds of supernatural talks with you. I can do pretty heavy stuff. Let's say I will do that as long as you have perfectly lived out my last sermon. Right? Because that's not what's occurring. What's occurring is we've slipped into this idea that more information means greater maturity. That is incorrect. And the problem with that mentality is that we walk out of church believing that we're further advanced than we really are. Head knowledge doesn't make you a better Christian. The Pharisees knew way more Old Testament scripture than the disciples, right? So we have to be very careful. If you're brilliant at Bible trivia, but you're still a jerk, you lost, <laughs> right? The whole point of going to church and learning information is to implement it. If we're not implementing it, something's wrong with our development. So let's go back to his analogy. Let's say, for example, little baby. Now, when a little newborn baby, they need milk, right? Which, can I go off on a quick tangent? Is that all right? What do you know? I have a mic. All right, cool. <laughs> when I was growing up, milk did a body good. Now, I am told that I am drinking baby cow juice. And now I'm being told, you don't ever want to drink that stuff. There is so much st garbage in there. Milk will wreck you. So I'm so confused as to what to do with milk, right? Is it okay? Is it good? Is it bad? In my little pyramid, it was one of my primary food groups, right? <laughs> Nowadays, they're like, don't drink that, man. That's terrible for you. Okay, so I don't know. Now everyone's lactose intolerant. I don't know what to do with milk. In our analogy, it's healthy milk. All right? We're going to talk about healthy milk. Let's move on. Yes? I'm trying to let this go. This is an emotional issue for me. Okay. Now, let's say that you have a little baby and you give them milk, right? And then for the adults, they can't just live on milk all the time. That would be a little bit weird. So you go, okay, it's part of the diet, but really that you ha actually get a chance to eat meat. Now, let's say, for example, theoretically, what if a little baby... You were, you were able to feed them. They're not going to die from it, right? But you could feed them like T-bones and dessert and potatoes, right? Let's say you could feed your baby all this stuff. What would happen to the baby, right? I get it. CPS would get called. Okay. <laughs> what, would, what would happen to the little baby if you kept feeding them all those calories? Well, a little baby can't, can't move, can't walk, right? So there's no way to expend the energy, so the little baby would consume and consume and consume, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Now, don't get me wrong, I am pro-fat baby, okay? <laughs> Side note, I was nine pounds, 10 ounces when I was born. I am pro-Michelin baby. Do you understand what I'm saying? The little rolls on those babies, that's what makes a cute baby, super fat. All right, in our last service, we had someone that was born at 10 pounds, six ounces. In this service, do we have anybody that was bigger than that? Oh, how big were you? 10-14. 10-14, yeah! Okay. 
I don't even know what to do with that. Okay, let's just have a moment of silence for his mom. Bro, that's like Guinness stuff. That's like Guinness Book of World Records stuff. Okay. So what would happen to baby? Once again, I'm not, I'm not being on, on fat babies. What I'm trying to say is you'd get bigger and bigger and bigger. There would be all this waste, but there would also be distortion, yes? What do you think happens when we keep coming to church and we're not using any of this stuff? Are we not getting distorted? Not only is it a lot of waste, it's just kind of going over our heads, but we're getting distorted. And once you get distorted enough, it's hard to even move anymore. And so a bunch of Christians turn it around, and the only way they can use the knowledge they have is to tell other people what to do. The problem is, every time they tell other people what to do, you look at their life, and they're not living it. We've got to use what we learn, or there's really no point. Head knowledge without transformation is distortion. Okay? Once again, milk's great, meat's great. Basics are great, deep stuff is great. You just have to be appropriate. Who for, what time? All right? What tipped off Paul that they were immature? How they were acting towards other people. Right? Interpersonal conflicts. Unresolved problems. These are all indicators of immaturity. Are there things that we need to do about a church if it, something goes wrong? Yes. What I'm not telling you to do is saying if you were truly mature, you would just suck up everything and be a doormat. That is inappropriate. That's just as inappropriate as causing division. No, when there's a challenge in the church, if it's an interpersonal relationship conflict, if it's a leadership violation, if it's a theological violation, first thing you got to do is seek clarity. Did I hear this right? Did I see this right? Am I thinking about this right? You come in with humility and you check with leadership and try to figure it out. The bottom line is, no matter what goes wrong in the church, we should be able to be a healthy family to work through things, not run away from things. Does that make sense? You work through it. That's what healthy families do. Does it take a while? Yeah. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Of course, it's easier to run away. That's not mature. We have to be more mature than that. You think you're not going to get offended here? You guys... The church is supposed to be a family furnace of transformation. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. You're supposed to grow here. You're supposed to have your world rocked. That's the point. And you think that's not going to agitate you? You think that our human staff is not going to emotionally hurt you? Are you kidding me? Of course they are. But we have to work through it. And not just, because here's the problem. If you walk away, you carry the pain with you. doesn't bless the church, doesn't bless you. There's ways to figure it out. Let's pick it up in verse 5. He said, so what are we talking about? What then is Apollos? I get it. He's a great teacher. What's Paul? He's the apostle. He's all powerful. Okay, cool, cool. You know what they are? Look at the next word, servants. They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each one of us. I planted. I'm a church planter. Apollos watered. He's the discipler, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, well, they're the same type of person. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For yes, we are God's fellow workers. And you as the church, you're God's field. You're God's building. 
According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, yes, I laid a foundation in Corinth, and now other teachers are building upon it. Awesome. Let's pause. What are great teachers? What are great Christian leaders? I think that we should thank the Lord for them. I think that they're amazing. I believe they should be obeyed as long as they're following the Lord. I think they should be obeyed. I think they should be respected. I think they should be honored, but they should never be worshiped. There is a line. Honored, obeyed, never worshiped. Because you know that worship hits when you start following them more than you're following Scripture. You know that worship has occurred when there's a clash between them and Jesus and you take their side. There's a worship going on when the leader says you can be mean to people, but Jesus says you can't, but you be mean to them because that's what your leader said. Who's your primary discipler? Is it Jesus or is it a human being? Come on. We can do this right. You know how ministry really works? Ministry really works like this. A called person uses the gifts that they were given by God and they do their best. Everything important, God does. There you go. So why are we all hyped up on, well, I'm in this camp, man. I follow this teacher, and he's the best, and your teacher's stupid, and your teacher doesn't even understand the Bible, and, and I can't believe that you would follow that, and you're in that denomination. That denomination is stupid, and blah, 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 and we start getting in all these little camps, and we put in all these little fences, and somehow we feel good about ourselves. What the heck? None of those people are God. So you don't sit there and go, wow, I feel really good about my camp. What's your camp? I thought we were talking about the family of God. There's a family of God and not the family of God. Those are the only camps you got, right? Pick it up in the end of verse 10. He said, all right, so all of you Christians, let each one take care how you build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, everyone's got to build on it. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Now, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, let's pause. Here's what he said. Only Christians build the church. Enemies destroy. You're not an enemy you're a child of God. So you're building on the church. What are you building? You're like, I thought he was talking about leaders. No, no, no. We teach the priesthood of all believers, which means every one of you are leaders. You're all building something into the church. What are you building? Because you're either building thy kingdom or my kingdom. Does that make sense? And if you're going to build your kingdom, in the end, Jesus is going to show up because everybody's always asking this. Well, I don't know about that church. I don't know if that church is legit. I don't know if that movement's legit. I don't know if that teacher's legit. How are we really going to know? I mean, they got a big ministry and they got this. How do we know if any of it's going to survive? You're probably not going to know in this life, but I'll tell you, there's going to come a day when Jesus shows up and the Holy Spirit comes through like a tornado of fire and burns everything that was selfish. And only God's stuff remains. And in that moment, we all go, oh. And in that moment, Jesus hands out rewards and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I saw what you built for me, and I appreciate it. And then there's some that he's going to look at, and there's just the foundation of Jesus, and there's nothing on it. You're still his child. You still go to heaven with him. 
but there's not a reward for you on that one. Sometimes we build ministries off really weird motivations. Some of us build ministries off being approval addicts. Some of us build ministries off trying to be impressive, right? In the end, it'll all get sorted out. God knows, right? But here's what's interesting. What are you building? Like when you come into church, what are you building? Are you investing in other people, loving on other people, smiling at other people, praying for other people? Are you involved? What are you building here? Because you're all building. Pick it up in verse 16. Do you not know that you're God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. You are that temple. Okay, once again, let me bring everyone up to speed. What's a temple? All right, it goes all the way back to a dude named Moses. Same guy that's super famous for Ten Commandments, famous for the burning bush thing, famous for the Red Sea parting, famous for the ten plagues of Egypt, right? That guy. He and God had a very special relationship. As a matter of fact, it says in the Bible that God talked with Moses face-to-face like a friend. Well, that's pretty interesting. How do you talk face-to-face with someone that is everywhere? Does that make sense? And you go, well, that's really odd. Well, he knew that was going to be odd, so we said, all right, Moses, you and I need to be able to connect a little bit more personally, so I'm going to kind of dumb it down for you. What I need you to do is I need you to build a tent structure. We're going to call it the tabernacle. And what I want you to do is to put a bunch of stuff in there, and you and I can have date time there. Like, I will come down with my presence, and I will intensify. I will localize my presence so you know which direction to look. Because a lot of times you're like, Lord, and you're looking all over the place, and that makes it hard to bond. So I'm going to give you a direction. I'm going to be right there, okay? And you and I can talk face to face. Okay, awesome. Well, once Israel moved out and became a nation, and they got into the promised land, they settled their capital. What did they want to build in their capital? A permanent one of those. So they built what's called a temple. Same thing. God said, you know what? I'm going to have a location on earth. You can't contain me, but I'm going to come in and localize myself. As a matter of fact, if you want to know where to look, I'm going to be right on top of the box from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> you can look there. I'll hang out with you there. The whole temple structure was about restoring relationship with God. That was the whole point. And so it was an amazing place. And the reason why it was so amazing is because God dwelt there in a special way. All right, now let's go back. What did Paul just say? You're that temple. You're the most special place on earth. And this is where it gets a little confusing because the Bible sometimes talks about us being individual temples. We're walking mobile temples. When we say, Lord, I want you to come into my life, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, and we are a walking, moving, mobile temple of God, and we should be excited about that. However, the Bible also says sometimes collectively we are a temple. Like living stones, we're being built together to be the house of God, and when we come together as a church, there's something special that happens in this moment. God is everywhere, yes. God is in your life, yes. But when we come together, he's in a special, localized, intensified place. Which one do you think he's talking about here? Group. So let's read it again. Do you not know that you collectively are God's temple? 
Which, by the way, I am waiting for the translation of the Bible to come out that is called Slightly Western. <laughs> and all I want it to do is put in plural you. Yes? Here's what it should sound like. Don't you know that y'all are God's temple? <laughs> it would make everything easier. Because I, you know, I can't always read in Greek. You understand what I'm talking about? And that God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. Okay, now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, 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 I get it, totally. So his whole point was, don't come against my church. That's my bride. That's who I died for. You don't get to come in and just critique and tear down, oh, I hate organized religion. Oh, my church is so bad. Look at my problem. Oh, the churches in our area, they're all so bad. Blah, 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 blah. When you start tearing down the church, you're tearing down Jesus' bride. Be real careful when you do that. It is not our church. It's God's church. We get to live here. Great. So what's the difference between bringing proper challenge to a church and tearing down the church? Attitude and intention. What are you trying to accomplish? Is there a restoration? Are you seeking its best? Or are you just complaining and lashing out? Yeah? That's the difference. All right. He wraps it up in verse 18 by saying this. Okay, so there are certain people in Corinth that were really stirring up all the problems, and they were doing so because they so thought they knew better than everybody else. The world had kind of given them an inflated ego, and so they were like, I don't need Paul anymore. I don't need any teacher. I'm the big dog now. Now, you got to remember, nobody in this church is older than four years old in the Lord. They're all babies, but it doesn't matter. They're the oldest Christian they know, so they start just mouthing off and all this stuff, and Paul said, hold on. Can I please talk to you guys for a second? Great. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a quote-unquote fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written in the Old Testament, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, it's written, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They're futile. So let no one brag about mankind stuff. All things are yours, whether it's me, Paul, or Apollos, or Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. It's all yours. You're Christ. Christ is God's. What was his point? Why are you building fences when everything's your family? Why are you limiting your world and limiting the blessings of God by saying, I'm in this camp, and you're in this camp, and I'm in this camp? Why can't you have the blessing of going, look at my greater family, I have all kinds of blessings? Hmm. Why would you brag about what mankind can do? Is it that impressive? Not really. All right, here's how we're going to close. Paul laid out for us four aha discoveries. I don't know if you caught them all, so I'm going to recap them for you. If you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. Number one, division comes from immaturity. Division comes from immaturity. Tensions and divisions in the church are not because somebody's super smart and knows better, but because we're immature and we need to grow up. Now remember, I didn't say disagreement. Disagreement is fine. Division means I'm breaking fellowship with you. 
and I don't want to be with you anymore. That has to be worked through, but there's nothing wrong with bringing challenge. Yep, that's part of health, okay? Number two, there's no point in learning more when you're not living what you already learned. There's no point in learning more if you're not living what you already learned. What we don't need is big head Christians. What we need is transformed believers, yeah? And you guys, this is what makes some of my jobs so hard. Because if I'm going to preach it, i got to put myself through the filter and the lens and the strainer of every message, and I have to hear it four times. <laughs> right? You guys thought one was long. Number three, we need to treat God's local church and one another with more respect. We need to treat God's local church and one another with more respect. Stop being so easy to criticize. Stop being so quick to snap judgment and throw down on another ministry or another believer. Because here's the reality. We're all not there yet. Any Christian, if you poke close enough, you're going to find a bunch of stuff that's in, out of alignment with real Christianity. You're going to find sin, you're going to find problems, you're going to find failures, and you're going to do that in every church and in every ministry. The point is not how can you find something bad so you can be the bigger person to be able to tell them what they're doing wrong. The point is, wow, you're my brother and sister, what can I do to support you and strengthen you? That's the job, Right? And that leads to number four. Settling into Christian camps is foolish. Settling into Christian camps is foolish. Why in the world would you limit what God's given you? Here's what we need to do. We need to be able to look out into every ministry that God would call family. And I understand there are some family members that are that creepy cousin you wish would never come to Christmas. I get it. But we need to look out to every other ministry and every other believer that is in the family of God, and we're able to pull out the good parts of their ministry, pull out the good parts of how they're living for the Lord. We're not looking for the bad stuff. We're looking for the good stuff. Why in the world would we not take the good stuff from this camp and the good stuff from that camp and the good stuff from this church and the good stuff from this denomination? Why in the world would we stay in a tiny little place? If God has big property, why are you staying tiny in your own little baby house. If we're in the house of God, why are you spending all your time in your room? God has a big house. Why can't we just appreciate and run up and down the hall, periodically look into a room and go, that was freaky, and move on? <laughs> right? You're allowed to do that. Let me give you an example. We need evangelists like Billy Graham and Louise Palau to reach to lost. We need the disciples like John Piper to train up the babies. We need the MacArthur's of the world to exposit the word, and we need the Bethel's of the world to study the freaky stuff. We need the activists to change our society. We need the compassionate to tend to the poor and the needy. We need flashy, popular churches like Elevation, just as much as we need the secret, quiet ones like First Lutheran of Second Street. We need our forefathers like Augustine, as well as modern-day theologians like N.T. Wright. We need Christian Democrats. We need Christian Republicans. We need light churches like Joel Osteen in Texas, and we need deep churches like Tim Keller's Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. Amen? Amen. 
man, you're a Christian. You're a child of God. These are your family. I get it. You don't agree with them. God doesn't even agree with them a whole lot. What I'm trying to tell you is you pick all the good stuff out of there and you go, man, that was cool. That was cool. That was cool. That one, whoop, that's not biblical. All right, cool. Right? And you just begin to realize how broad your family is. And you start celebrating other people instead of critiquing other people. I truly believe that that is the heart of what God wants for his family. I'm not telling you not to bring challenge. I'm not telling you not to say something isn't biblical. I'm not telling you to suck it up. I'm just telling you to be healthy. I'm just telling you to process through it. That's all. We can do this. God built us. God set us in motion. He's our king. We have a heavenly father that can be our referee when the siblings don't get along, right? I just, I can't control Westboro Baptist Church. I can't control the church across town. But what I do know is at Bridgeway, we better have a heart that is understanding and wise and loving and patient. I think at Bridgeway, what we need is appreciation. I think it, what we really need to do is just make sure that our family's healthy. Yeah? Let's close in prayer. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Heavenly Father, we love you. It's your church. It's your house. It always has been. We're one tiny part of this beautiful kingdom of God. So, Lord, we pray blessings over other churches in our area. We pray blessings over ministries that we don't even understand. God, if there's something amiss, that's your concern, not ours. Does it freak me out? Yep, sure does, Lord. But honestly, you're better at it than I am. I'm not quite sure I would correct it in the right way anyway. And Lord, whatever ignorance I have, and we here at Bridgeway don't have right, I would sure hope, Lord, that you would give us patience and so would everybody else. So, Lord, we are asking for your body to be connected, to be vibrant, to be joyful, to be loving. And we are praying right now, God, that you would guide us in your word. We don't want to just know more information. We want to live more like you. Would you help us grow up? In Jesus' name, amen.